When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mysteries of God to you with lofty words or even with wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Could you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I was standing in line with everyone else, a whole lot of people at the airport getting ready to go through security, to go through customs that I could get on my flight, and I was flying to Guatemala. I was going with a a group of high schoolers and college students, and we were going to be flying to Guatemala for a week. We were going to be working with a group called HSP, Highland Support Project. We were going to be working with indigenous Mayan women in the remote highlands of Guatemala, and we were going to be building stoves with them. Uh, Guatemala has still to this day a very, very high infant mortality rate. A lot of children die from upper respiratory failure uh, because their mothers will cook with them uh, attached to their back and they cook over open flame. And so while they're cooking, their children just breathe in the smoke and many of those children die. So we were going for a week to build stoves, very energy efficient, but also to have a chimney to route the smoke out of their homes so that the children wouldn't be breathing the smoke anymore. I was taking a group of high schoolers and college students to go down to Guatemala to do this work. And I was at Dulles Airport, getting ready to go through security, to go through customs, to get on my flight. Uh, And you could just tell how excited we all were, and you could also tell what day it was, because everyone was wearing red, white, and blue. It was the 4th of July. So the whole airport's just filled with red, white, and blue, all these people getting on flights, getting ready to travel all over the world. And I went up to the TSA agent, and I handed my passport over and I handed my ticket over and she looked at the, you know, looked at the passport, looked at me to make sure it was me, looked at my ticket, see where I was going, and then she looked down at my shirt, because I, like everybody else at the airport, was wearing an American flag on my shirt. I still remember, it was a gray old navy t-shirt with an American flag right across the chest. And I was wearing it and she looked at the shirt on my chest and then she went back down to her paperwork and she said, hey, just a piece of advice, I'd change my shirt if I were you. Everything. Why in the world would I change my shirt? I mean, it doesn't smell bad. You know, it doesn't look that bad. Why would I change my shirt before getting on my flight? And as if she was reading my mind, without even looking up, she said, you're traveling to a place where that flag doesn't mean what you think it does. You're traveling to a place where that flag doesn't mean what you think it does. Reading from the Apostle Paul is uh, not an envious endeavor. Deirdre, you did a great job. But reading for Paul is not easy. You know, Paul tends to repeat himself. He uses this, even though he says he doesn't, he uses this high and lofty language. He kind of drags on. You're not really sure what point he's trying to make. It's heavy, heavy, heavy in the theology. It is easily the time where most people croak over in their pews in church on Sundays when we're reading from the Apostle Paul. It's just not very entertaining. It's kind of hard to hold on to what Paul is saying. And today... We read from Paul all the time. We say Paul is speaking the word of God, a true word that's giving us life into our lives today, no matter what we're going through. And one of the things that makes reading Paul so hard is that we have to come to grips with the fact that Paul's letters were written before any of the Gospels were written down. That is to say that we might pull out our Bibles and we'll go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We want to read about Jesus. We want to read what he said and what he did and feel like we're there in the room with the disciples. But all of those books... The gospel stories, they were written after Paul's letters. Which means that if you were a Christian in the first century, and you discovered this faith, the thing you would have heard from first is not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
You would have heard from a letter written by Paul. You would have heard something like Deirdre read for us today. That was the beginning of faith for people. And we don't think about it that way. We tend to think, oh, we got to go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. we got to get the real essence of Jesus. And when we do that, we throw Paul away. We read Paul as if he's just this heady writer with all this theology, and he ruined the simple gospel story. He made it too complicated. But the opposite's true. He simplified the gospel that's incredibly complicated so that when we picked up our Bibles and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it would make a little more sense. So here's an example. In the Gospels, Jesus is abundantly clear that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to get into heaven. If that's all we had, then I'm sorry for you if you're rich. Because this is as good as it's going to get. You're not going to be having a party with us in our, in our heavenly abode if it's that hard for a rich person to get to heaven. Paul is the one that reminds us again and again that the cross actually equals the playing field. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are or how poor you are. It doesn't matter how thin you are or how fat you are. Every one of your sins has been nailed to the cross. Now, of course, if you're wealthy, one of the things as a Christian is, how are you using your wealth to make other people's lives better? But even if you don't do that, the cross still has all of your sins nailed to it. So Paul actually helps us to read the gospel stories through the lens of what Jesus does so that we might understand it and what it means for us Today, He distilled the gospel in a way that we wouldn't have without him. He gives us a tool. He gives us a lens by which we can read everything else. And he says, I came to you knowing Jesus Christ and him crucified and nothing else. That's it. That's it. And it wasn't easy for Paul. It's not easy for us today because we like stories. We want to hear about feeding of the 5,000. We want to hear about the prodigal son. We want to hear about what it was like that last night when he was together with his friends. But Paul comes and he says, look, when I came to you, I helped you see what Christianity is all about. I came with one thing and one thing only, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Today, we don't like it very much. Today, we want signs of power so we know where our uh, hopes should be. We look up to the healthy and the wealthy as if they are more important than the holy, the whole, as if they're more important holy than the sick and the poor. We are persuaded by these people, to use Paul's words, we are persuaded by the rulers of this age. And we forget the one who came to overthrow the rulers and the powers and the principalities. We care more about where we think power is instead of where power really is. So I stood in the airport having been told that I should change my shirt. And before I got on the plane, without even really thinking about it, I reached into my bag and I pulled the next closest t-shirt and I put that one on instead. And I got on the plane and I flew to Guatemala. Had an incredible week. One of the most pivotal weeks of my life. I learned a lot about what it means to be a faithful Christian. I learned a lot about what it means to put your faith into practice. I prayed with women that were working and living in Guatemala. I built stoves. I played with their kids. I mean, I had a great time. But the thing I learned the most while I was in Guatemala was what it means to be an American. And what I mean by that is what it means to be American to those who are not, in fact, American. Because being in Guatemala for a week really opened my eyes about the history of our country with that country, which is to say how involved the United States was with the civil war that happened in Guatemala. I discovered for the very first time, because this was certainly nothing I learned in school, they didn't teach this to us in US history class when I was in high school, I learned how our country, the United States of America, in the name of freedom, instituted a new government in Guatemala in the hopes that it would make for a more favorable relationship between our two countries. 
I learned about how we gave arms and weapons to people in Guatemala to oust a military and oust a government so a better one would come in. I learned about how many men were killed. How many men, how many boys were just wiped out of a country. So that when you go today and you go visit a village in Guatemala, you only see women. You see children. All of the men, almost all of them, were killed during the Civil War. And we just left it all behind. I learned about how ravaged families and communities still are because of those actions. How many men were killed in such a short period of time. And how they are still suffering the consequences of something we did as a country. And I never knew that before. Never knew it. I learned for the first time that the American flag, what it might mean to me here, means something very different to the people there. For me, it was a powerful and difficult moment of transformation. Because in all those conversations and all those interactions and all the tears and all the stories I heard, I realized for the first time that by the world standards, I am a citizen of empire. That the country of my home, the country of my birth, has bullied other countries throughout the world. That we wanted to assert our superiority compared to everybody else. And I learned for the very first time that maybe it's not a good idea to wear your American flag when you leave, on your shirt when you leave the country. It was a difficult transformation for me. And I realized that I am the kind of person that Paul is writing to in 1 Corinthians 2. Because he looks out at this Corinthian community and says, you care about all the wrong things. I came with only one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified, nothing else. Now today, just this week, just in the last seven days, I have had people come to the church and I have watched them argue and bicker among themselves about what President Trump said in the State of the Union. I have watched and listened to people in our church bicker and fight with themselves about Nancy Pelosi ripping up his speech from the State of the Union. I have watched and listened to people in our church debate and fight about who really won, who really won the Iowa caucus. And that stuff's fine. If you want to fight about that, if you want to argue about it, I don't really care. But it doesn't have much to do with this. And it doesn't have much to do with the church. And one of the things that is absolutely devastating is that we judge and care about people based on the name on a bumper sticker than we do about this thing right here. It is crazy. On the eve of the presidential election in 2016, right before they started announcing the results, I had a worship service at the church I served. As I said, look, it doesn't matter who the president is. We're all still Christians, and we still got to love each other. So I invited all these people to come to the church, and it was packed. We had all these people come. So I think people were worried about what was going to happen. And I thought it would be a great idea to cut the ice and make a joke. And so I stood up. I invited everyone. And I said, hey, welcome to our church. We only have one rule. If you voted for Hillary Clinton, you need to stand up and sit on the left side of the church. And if you voted for President Trump, you need to stand and you need to sit on the right side of the church. And nobody laughed. <laughs> because it wasn't very funny. And we tried to have a worship service, and we prayed, and we had communion together, and we broke bread. And for me, part of the hope was to have people see that no matter what happened, we'd all still be Christians the next day. That we'd all still have to go to church on Sunday and worship with each other. The thing I didn't anticipate happening was that overnight, a whole bunch of people wrote off a whole bunch of other people. Friends that had been friends for decades stopped talking to each other because they found out who voted for who. It was like a line was drawn in the sand, and we shall never cross over it ever again. It was unbelievable how much it happened and how much it's still happening right now. Even this week, all these fights that were happening, and it has nothing to do with Jesus. When I first moved here, 
I came to the flea market one of the first Saturdays I was here, before a lot of people in the church knew who I was, and I walked around our parking lot, and I went up to a bunch of vendors and a bunch of random people, and I said, hey, hey, tell me about this church. What do you know about it? I was trying to be a spy. I said, tell me about the church. Tell, tell me what I need to know about it. You know what people told me? Oh, this church fights about politics a lot. They're always arguing about who the president should be. Now, I don't mean that as a stain against the church or the flea market or anything like that, because that's indicative of all of us. I fight about politics all the time. We all do it. And even if we don't actively fight, we judge people based on their politics or their perceived politics we have about them. And in the church, that is just unacceptable. It's so strange. And, I mean, it makes sense why we do it. Because it's simple. It's easy. It's easy to cut people off if they don't agree with us. We do it all the time. It's just crazy. And there's nothing inherently wrong with something like the flag, or the colors red, white, and blue, or the Declaration of Independence, or the Constitution. Those things are fine. But for some reason, as Christians, we tend to care more about those things than we do about this thing behind me. Because this thing behind me actually informs how we do everything else. And I know why we don't do it. It's because the cross is ugly. It's a sign of death. It carries with it requirements and assumptions about who we are and how we have to be with each other. This, this cross, it's a reminder again, every time we look at it, that whatever we think we're idolizing, we shouldn't. All the things we worship in our lives that don't have to do with the cross, we shouldn't be worshiping. The cross is not a simple thing. It's complicated. But we're always trying to simplify everything in our lives. As if there's a solution to every problem in the world. And we tend to do it by, here are three easy steps to fix all your problems. If you do these three things, you'll lose all your extra weight. If you do these three simple things, you'll save enough money for retirement. Nothing in life is that simple. And yet we keep buying all the books like that anyway. Because we want it to be simple. If it can fit in a tweet, if it can fit in a soundbite on television, it's good enough for the rest of us. We like simplicity because it gives us the, the perception that we're in control. That we can change the world. That we have nothing to be afraid of, except that's not true. We are not in control. Fate is very fickle, and we have plenty to be afraid of. And the cross, it, for Christians, it's always hanging on the horizon. It is a reminder to us that when things get tough, when things get too complicated, we can always just resort to violence. We can always just resort to power and control to put things back the way we want them to go. It's what the people did with Jesus on the cross. He was too complicated. You know, just turn the other cheek, love your enemies, all that stuff. You know what? I don't want to deal with it. Let's just nail that guy to the cross. We did it with Guatemala. We're still doing it all the time. We're doing it as a country. We're doing it as individuals. We cut people out of our lives. We treat them like garbage. We belittle each other just because we can't agree on something. We think it's all up to us. We've forgotten that Jesus and the cross means that it's not up to us. That Jesus is picking up the broken pieces of our lives and reordering them in ways that we never would if it were up to us. And thanks be to God, it's not up to us. Because if it were up to us, all we'd achieve is more of the same. And it wouldn't look like the kingdom of God. If it were all up to us, we'd only associate ourselves with people who look like us, who think like us, who talk like us, who vote like us. Instead, Jesus gathers us together precisely with people who have only one thing in common, and that's Jesus. Paul was devastated. 
He'd started this church in Corinth, and they had fallen apart. They had factionalized behind other leaders. They were arguing with each other. They were refusing to take communion with each other. And he said, you fools, I came with only one message. Jesus and him crucified. Christ dying for you while you're a sinner. That means you cannot be what you once were. You can't go back to the old life. Everything's been changed forever. The church is not, and it has never meant to be, the world. It is not the world. The church is counter to the world. It's a place where we hear about the powers and the principalities and the empires, and they are called into question. Knowing Jesus Christ, knowing him crucified, means that we are now different. Or to put it in a different frame of reference, Jesus is crucified, so we don't have to be. We don't have to mount the hardwood of the cross. We don't have to have our hands nailed to it. We don't have to have our feet nailed to it because Christ has already done it for us. We don't have to suffer the indifference of the world and the hatred of the world because Christ has come to conquer the world. Paul implores us to open our eyes, open our ears, stop viewing people through our own judgments that we've created, stop viewing people through the name of someone on a bumper sticker, stop viewing people for how they lean but view people through the cross. How we live, how we move, how we speak, how we act, how we think, it communicates to the world what it means to be a Christian. And if all we're doing is fighting, then we have forgotten this. And we've left it behind. The only thing that matters is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because that changes everything else. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen.